The following recording is a presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Rohnert Park, California, and of Pastor Val Mark Smith. We are an independent Baptist congregation committed to the accurate presentation of the historical doctrines of the faith. We welcome you to visit our services anytime here in the Rohnert Park area. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to our service of Berean Baptist Church. I'd like you to open your Bibles now, if you would please, to uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, chapter 2. And I am most pleased to be back in the pulpit today to continue this series of messages on the New Testament church. Uh, This is a series of sermons that would have been done on Sunday nights, but since the whole COVID experience Uh, We've made some dramatic changes to our schedule of services. Uh, Sunday nights was usually reserved for teaching just certain special aspects of our faith and was designed more for mature Christians to help us to grow in our faith, to talk about some subjects that we might not otherwise, of course, address on Sunday mornings. But it has occurred to me more than once as we've gone through this experience, in fact, it it occurs to me now just every week, that all of our preaching opportunities are primarily for our church members. Uh, We do invite people that are not members of our church to come, and uh, that's because we want everyone to hear about Christ. We want them to know about our Lord. We want them to understand what it means to be Christian. And certainly we can say this, that to be Christian involves the Lord's church. This is a, this is a major, major inescapable part of our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But with a mixture of members and non-members in attendance, there is a variety of levels of understanding among people that would hear the messages. And our preaching is systematic, so we hope that one sermon logically leads to the next. And so there, there might be someone here that you have come to church today and you're just, uh, you haven't been here since the beginning of this series. You're just sort of dropped down into the middle of what we're teaching. And I, you have no direction, you have no compass really to tell you where you are. And I'm sorry about that, but it is an inevitable consequence. Unless we put a sign on the door, it says, you need not come unless you've been here for every sermon. Well, we won't do that. We'll, we'll try to teach you what we can today. When I started the series, I realized this is not normal Sunday morning preaching that you hear in other churches. Uh, I don't preach life coaching sermons. I'm not a therapist. I'm not a motivational speaker. What you see is what you get. Just somebody who wants to exposit the Word of God and tackle any subject that comes along. That's what we're determined to do. And since I am preaching to the church, I expect that what you will do is you'll take what you hear, you'll depend upon the Holy Spirit to lead you in it, and you'll take this and you'll grow in your faith as you hear these different subjects. I've heard many preachers say that they are concerned about what people understand. I I see that, and they'll say, what you really need to do is put those cookies down on the bottom shelf where everybody can get some and everybody can learn something from it. But then you begin to wonder, what about those more mature Christians who are not content to be fed on stale cookies off the bottom shelf all the time? Well, you have to give them something that's a little more complicated and something that will help them to learn and grow in their, in their Christian lives. And I think this is a problem in many churches 
that Christians don't know very much about doctrine. They don't know very much about their faith because they've been eating cookies off the bottom shelf all of their lives. So you might ask, well, what does that have to do with this sermon today? Well, first, what I'll say is that what I'm going to teach today is not difficult at all. So it's not one of those sermons that you're going to struggle with trying to figure out what I'm talking about. I think it'll be very plain. And it is a logical progression of what has been taught previously in this series. I didn't start the series with this message. Today it's about church membership. I didn't start here. I started with Jesus built a church. I wanted you to understand Jesus built a church. And then I wanted you to understand what the church is. And so we taught on that because there is much misunderstanding about what the church is. I wanted you to know what the church does. And thus we had three messages on the ministry of the church. I wanted you to understand the privileges of church membership. And so I taught you on the ordinances. Now that we've learned those things, we're ready to look at this subject. And that is church membership. Now, in the message today, there will be bits and pieces of other messages that will hopefully show you how believers are led to the church of Jesus Christ. The church is the place where the Christian becomes a part of the body of believers that is commissioned by Jesus Christ to give his message to the world so that people all around the world may learn who he is and what he's done for us. We are his ambassadors. That's what the church is designed to do. Now, all of the messages to this point have been for church members to understand the church better, and they are also for non-church members to be educated in what this church believes about the New Testament church. Now, we distill that all of these other parts into this focus of showing how that believers may become members of the Lord's New Testament church. Our, our text today is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22, and this is the Apostle Paul instructing the church at Ephesus. And he says here in the uh, second chapter, beginning in verse number uh, 19, He says, Now therefore ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God, through the Spirit. In this passage, the Apostle uses one of the often used metaphors for the church that's used throughout the New Testament. In some places, we see where uh, the authors of the New Testament refer to the church as a body, that we are the body of Christ. In other places, it's referred to as the bride of Christ. And although you'll not find the word bride and church in the same sentence, yet we do find the concept of the church as a bride is inferred in several passages of the New Testament. But here in Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle is using the metaphor of a building, that we are the spiritual house of God, that we are a building that is fitly framed together to be the holy temple of the Lord. In 1 Corinthians, the apostle referred to the temple 
the church as the temple of the Holy Spirit. There are a couple of places in 1 Corinthians where the, uh, the Apostle Paul refers to the temple. In one place, in the 6th chapter, he, the reference is to the individual. He says that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And I might add on that that the scriptures teach that your body is reserved as a sacred place for the Lord and that you, you ought not to use your body for sinful purposes. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. But in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians, the apostle used the word temple and the reference there is not to the individual, but it is to the assembly of individuals, that is the church. The church assembled is in view in 1 Corinthians 3, verse number 17, in which the apostle there writes of the building of God, the temple of God. And he says, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Looking back into the Old Testament, it's interesting to read about the physical building of the temple. Israel built a magnificent house of worship for Jehovah God. There was much care in the collection of the materials, the selection of them. Only the finest and the best was used. Solomon built a majestic house of worship. And, and you remember that story how when they quarried the stones to build the temple, that everything was taken care of right there uh, where they were quarried. Everything was, was, was perfectly chiseled out and then brought to the temple site and put in place where the Bible says that not even the sound of, of a hammer was heard as they were putting these stones together. They fit together perfectly like a puzzle. The interior of the temple was made of choice cedar trees that came from Lebanon, the very best. And then the boards from those trees were covered in pure gold. So here was a, a building that was a, a physical building that was unmatched in craftsmanship and wealth of, of any building that had ever been seen before. And that physical structure of this temple built in the Old Testament was emblematic of the New Testament and the Lord's spiritual house. And that spiritual house is the church. It's not a physical building. It's an assembly of people. It is an assembly of sanctified people. It's a beautiful house that's made up of living stones. And it reflects the glory and the majesty of its builder. And because it represents the Almighty God, we expect that the materials of this building would be the finest. This is a house that is built out of lives that have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ. No wonder Paul said, your body is also the temple of the Holy Spirit. Years ago, as a young man living in Kentucky, I, I built a few houses. I built some starter homes that were inexpensive. Uh, they weren't made from the finest materials. They weren't expected to be. They were built out of cheap, uh, affordable alternatives. They weren't ornate. And as we're fond of saying, you get what you pay for. When I came to California some years later, uh, I saw the prices of houses here, and there wasn't any way that you could convince me that you get what you pay for. You, you, you get a very expensive house, you pay a lot for it, but you don't get anything that's especially fancy. But the last house that I built in Kentucky was an expensive house, built in an exclusive neighborhood. Believe it or not, back then... Uh, house cost $350,000, and the people that bought this house got a, 
over 5,000 square feet of the finest materials of superior craftsmanship. You wouldn't believe the ornate trim work that I put into it. I, I hired one of the best trim people uh, in, in the town where we lived, in that city. Uh, we had custom cabinets in it. We had beautiful hardwood floors that were inlaid with special designs. The house had arches throughout it. It had chandeliers. And my point is to tell you that the building reflects the quality of the materials. You don't expect to get a high-quality house out of inferior materials. And that's the way it is with the church. It's impossible, or I should say it is possible, to put together a collection of people where, where the whole may alter the character of individuals, but that usually doesn't happen. The corporate whole is usually the same as the component parts. And this is the reason that we must be very, very careful about the makeup of the Lord's church and what we expect from the members. We vote on people who become members. We want a church with people that are surrendered to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Now we understand that church membership is voluntary. There isn't anyone that can force their way into the church. And neither does the church compel people to join. But at the same time, there's not a Christian who has the option of being a member of one of the Lord's churches. It's the, it's the obligation to be obedient to Christ by becoming a member of the New Testament church. I know that there are some who think that if they just go to church, they're members. I once had a visitor that had been attending our church for a while, and uh, one day I just asked, well, you've been coming here for a while, are you a member of, a, of another church? And this person looked at me with a puzzled look and said, Why, yes, I, I'm a member of your church. I'm a member of Berean Baptist. Like, come on, man, what's wrong with you? Don't, don't you know anything? Many churches don't have membership. They don't care about it. They don't have requirements. They don't practice discipline. You come as you are. You stay as you are. You live as you are. But let me show you something from Acts chapter 1. This was after the resurrection and the ascension of Christ, the disciples returned from the Mount of Olives and they went back to the upper room. And in Acts 1.15 it says, And in those days Peter stood up in the midst of the disciples and said... And I want you to look at the parentheses that's placed in this passage. The number of names together were about 120. Now in that verse it's clear that somebody kept a register of the disciples. Somebody had recorded the names. And at this time, there were about 120 people who were assembled with the apostles. And what we're seeing there is the church. How did those people get on that roll? And, and how were they counted as members of the church? And that's what I want to talk to you about today. There are two principal topics relating to church membership. How do you get in? And how do you get out? That's what I want to talk to you about today. How, first of all, how do you get into a New Testament church? So number one is the conditions for admission to the church. Now let me say again that the New Testament teaches church membership. Christians were a part of the local assembly. And you don't see Christians in the New Testament just wandering around on their own and not being a part of the church. When people were saved, they came into the fellowship of the church. That's what was expected. They were saved, they were baptized, and then proceeded to church membership. 
So the apostles would, would never consider that a person could be faithful and obedient to Christ without becoming a working, committed member of the church. In fact, you couldn't baptize anybody without also bringing them into the church. You can't baptize and leave people out of the church. So they were either baptized and brought into a, an established church immediately, or they became a part of a group that was waiting to be organized into a church. And this is how we got New Testament churches. The uh, apostles and missionaries would go out and they would preach in a city and converts would be made and then those people would be gathered together and they would form a new church in that city. Now I want you to notice first that to be admitted into the church of Jesus Christ, you must be regenerated. Now I, I think all of you here probably know this, so I'm not giving you new information. You must be regenerated. That's the very first requirement. Regeneration of the heart. You must be a person who has been changed by the Holy Spirit. You must be a person that has placed your complete trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. This is the New Testament pattern. Only those that are saved, only those that are born again, have right to be in the membership of the church. There must be evidence of a good confession. Your life must show that you have indeed passed from death unto life and that you have become a new creature in Jesus Christ. And you might think, well, that is so obvious. Why do you mention it? But in truth, this is one of the biggest sticking points between Baptists and many Protestants. Baptists believe in a regenerated church membership. But because Protestants believe in a church that has a dual nature, a church visible and a church invisible, they believe that it's proper to have some unregenerate people in the visible church. They believe that only the invisible church contains the true spiritual elect, regenerated people of God, and the visible church may include the unregenerate because there can be Infants in the church, infants who are children of believers that are not saved, but they have been baptized. Now, I don't have time to sort all of that out today, but suffice us to say that what we end up here is with a conflation of the church and the kingdom. Now, we, of course, do not believe in an invisible church, but even if we did, we couldn't agree that the visible church could include those who are unregenerate, those who have not yet received Christ as Savior. And that's because the New Testament doesn't teach it. Many Protestants support the doctrines of covenant theology in which the uh, which Old Testament Israel was the church, which has now been replaced by the New Testament church. And they say that the children of believers are covenant members of the visible church. And they baptize babies as a replacement for Old Testament circumcision. And then they bring these unbaptized children into the membership of the church. Now, they may not be fully functioning members, but they are members nonetheless. Eventually, what can happen with this kind of a system is that the church can be filled up with people that have never received Christ. And thus they have no relationship with the Lord other than a covenant commitment that's been made by their parents, which the child has nothing to do with. Well, any group that's a mixture of the redeemed and the unredeemed can't be a church. Now remember, the spiritual house of God reflects the character of the individual components. A house that's made of cheap materials is not a worthy house. And likewise, a spiritual house that is built out of those who have not been washed 
in the blood of Christ and sanctified by his sacrifice, those are materials, building materials that can never reflect the holiness that Christ demands of his church. The whole church is affected by the unregenerate. Our objective is to be a sound church. The objective is to be a godly church, and that's undermined by permitting unregenerate people to become members of it. Jesus and the apostles taught that the kingdom of God is not of this world. There's a difference in the people of God and the people of this world. And only those who are in Christ's kingdom are born from above. And Jesus said, unless a man is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Well, the church is not the kingdom. It's a subset of the kingdom But you could never get into the church. You should be able to see that. You could never get into the church if you're not already a part of the kingdom. Now, you'll notice in the New Testament epistles that Paul never addressed those that were redeemed along with those that were not redeemed. You won't find it where he says, grace to you and also to your unbelieving children. To the believers in Rome, he wrote... To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The other epistles have similar phrasing. Paul also made these kinds of references, such as in Romans 6 verse 20, For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. And he goes on in verse 22, But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and to the end everlasting life. You can see we're talking about people who have had a change happen to their souls. To the Ephesian church, the one that we're studying now in that second chapter, he says in the beginning of it, and you hath he quickened or you hath he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sin. So we see here there's a definite change that has happened in the lives Uh, And these are lives that have been affected by regeneration. Peter said the same. Most notably, he wrote in what we, the scripture we read just a moment ago, in in, uh, 1 Peter 2, verse 5, he said, Ye also as lively stones are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. In verse 9, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So nowhere in the New Testament do we find that unbelievers are a part of the visible church. The command for believers in Christ is always to separate from those who might have inadvertently been thought to be counted as believers, but really have characteristics of unbelief. These are people that are to be judged and put out of the fellowship of the church because they are not truly a part of the church. So who was permitted into the church? Saved people. Saved people were added to the church, not unbelievers, not babies that were born to the members of the church. And we see in Acts 2 verse 41, then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day were added unto them about 3,000 souls. Those that gladly received the word were baptized and added to the church. So we're talking about people who can understand. 
People who hear the message of Christ and they believe this message, they confess their sins and they put their faith in Jesus Christ. And so to be a church of the Lord Jesus Christ, uh, to be the spotless, pure body of Jesus, the members must be washed in the blood of the Lamb. Now as you hear this, this is not a statement against babies. We love babies. It's not a statement against children. No, what we think is the responsibility of parents in the church is to bring their children to church, to train them in the ways of the Lord, and then when they're old enough to understand what they hear, they profess their own faith in Jesus Christ, and they're baptized, and they become members of the church. Now, the next prerequisite of being a member of the church is confession of faith. And here I'm not speaking of the initial confession of faith, not not the reception of Christ by faith, but rather the manner of the life. A confession in the life, witnessing a good confession of faith. So a member of the church must be a person who shows with his life that he is a believer. Well, how do we know if people are Christians? Well, the Bible gives us only one way, and that is the fruit of the Spirit. Does that person show the fruit of the Spirit? Sometimes we can be fooled by false professors. They, they put on a good show. But we're never fooled by a person who never shows any evidence at all. So this is a person that must be willing to confess that he's a child of God. And I'm afraid there are many that don't. They're afraid of the confession. They're afraid of what people might think about them. They won't speak of Christ where they are. They won't pretend at all to be a Christian while they're around other people. But a real Christian is one who will confess his faith. And he is called upon to confess his faith. In, in Philippians, or rather Psalm 66, verse 16, it says, Come and hear all ye that fear God, and I will declare what he hath done for my soul. Romans 10.10 says, For with the heart man believeth unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Most people that desire membership in Berean have already interviewed with me. I question them. I examine them for confession of faith. I ask them, what is your experience in becoming a Christian? And if that confession is good, then we bring the person before the church. That will usually happen in a service like this on Sunday morning. And I relate to you the person's confession. We don't require them to speak. Uh, they may, if they want, tell you about their experience. And we do permit a personal testimony from male believers. So here we find then two requirements for admission into the church for membership. The person must be regenerated and they must be born again. They must witness a good confession of faith. Thirdly, membership in the church requires reception of baptism. Public confession of saving faith is made in baptism. If a person has never been baptized in a church of like faith in order to this church, then their public confession must be made in baptism before membership. Baptism is a ceremonial qualification. It's, a, it's the initiatory right for admission into the church. So then we say that church membership is made up of regenerated, baptized people. We see that in what we read a moment ago in Acts chapter 2. Those that heard the word, that is those that believed and were baptized, they were added to the church. 
So we don't see unbaptized people that were members of the church in the New Testament. This is the first act of obedience that's required of a believer. He should be baptized. Baptism shows the Christian characteristic of obedience. And it'd be hard to imagine that you would have a convert who could hear about baptism and know that the Lord himself modeled it in his life and then commanded his disciples to practice it. It'd be hard to believe that a person would receive Christ as Savior, know this information, and then refuse to to obey it. Now, we don't believe that people are saved by baptism, certainly not. But at the same time, we don't believe that a person can be saved and refuse the lordship of Jesus Christ. Obedience to the lordship of Christ, that is to the commands of Christ, that is a hallmark of regeneration. Sometimes baptism isn't possible. Various reasons for that. It doesn't affect salvation, though, if a person can't be baptized. Uh, You can get into the kingdom of God and never be baptized, but you can't get into the church without baptism. Baptism is the believer's declaration that he has died to his old way of life, that he's risen to walk in the new life of Christ. In baptism, there is a commitment that he says that he believes in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And so in essence, our baptism is a confession of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We believe what Christ did on the cross. We call then baptism the door into the church. You must walk through the door of baptism to gain entrance into the church. So we don't baptize people that aren't at the same time admitted to church membership. I've experienced a few times over the years that somebody will call the church, ask to speak to me. I get on the phone and they want to to know, will you baptize me? And they have no intentions of coming to church, have no intentions of, other than for the baptism, they have no intentions of becoming a member of the church. And for those kinds of people, I would say, you just don't understand. You don't understand what baptism is for. You don't understand, perhaps you don't even understand salvation very well. And you certainly don't understand church membership very well, what the Bible teaches about that. And so these are people that need to be taught. They need to learn something. Baptism goes with church membership. It's a prerequisite for membership. The fourth thing to get into a New Testament church is that you must be willing to submit to the authority of the church. In other words, you agree to the scrutiny of the church over the way that you live your Christian life. You agree to accept the teachings of the church. You agree that that's the correct instruction for the way that you are to live as a Christian. And and that's all part of witnessing a good confession. We don't take people into membership that still want to live their old lifestyles. We, we don't take them into membership who want to keep their old sinful habits. They want to still go to their old places that they go to, their old haunts, and do the same things that they always did. A person who becomes a member of the church must show that their old life is gone. That's what they testified to in baptism, didn't they? And so they must witness that confession. Paul wrote in Philippians 2.13, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. When you become a member, you agree that we can teach you. We will teach you and check your progress by observing your life. You agree to come under the authority of the church to to check your sins. 
and correct those problems that lead to it. Now I want you to listen carefully to this. At the end of the series, Living in the Light of Christ's Return, we, we talked about church discipline. And that's one of the reasons that um, I decided that we wouldn't go into any, any more discussion of church discipline, what that's all about. We, we just did that. But we did find that discipline is an act of a caring church. It's not repulsive. It's not intrusive behavior. But rather, it's concerned, loving behavior that's commanded by Christ. What he told us was that we are to love our neighbor as ourselves. And what could be more loving than to help a person with their temptations, to help guide them through the the problems that they have in their life and the sinful things that might overcome them? What better thing can we do than to show people where they're wrong about these things? But what we aren't, we aren't a holy police force. We don't walk around behind people issuing citations for things that you do wrong. So I'm not going to follow you around if you become a member and see what you do. Some in the church already announce what they do. It's on social media. They tell you what they're doing, what they're going to do, what they have done, everything that there is about them. And so sometimes that, that stuff gets filtered back to me or some of the deacons and we look at that and I may get up in the pulpit and preach about that. I won't call you by name. But I'll preach about it and ask you to change your behavior. And do you know what you should do when you hear that? Change your behavior. That's what a preacher of the gospel, me and all the others are called to do. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with strong doctrine. To teach you what you should be. Right behavior. That's the best thing for the people of God. And the people of God should, instruct, uh, should accept that instruction. So that's for your good. It's for the purity of the entire body. So when you become a member, you should gladly invite scrutiny so that you have accountability in your life. We don't want people in the church that say, Oh, I don't believe what you teach. I'm not going to submit to the authority of church, the church and leadership. No, church membership is agreement to the lordship of Christ and submission to the authority of his church. Fifthly, You can get in the church this way, by the commendation of others. Now, I'm shifting gears here a bit. What about people that are members of other churches and they want to be a member of this church? Sometimes people move away. They leave where they used to live. They leave their old church and they go looking for a new church where they've moved Uh, They're members in good standing of another Baptist church and they want to move their membership. What should they do? Well, they may ask us to write their former church and request a letter of commendation or sometimes called a letter of recommendation. This is a person, it's not necessary to baptize them because they've already been baptized and witnessed a good confession before another body of believers. So we don't have to go through all the detailed processes with them. We simply write the other church and ask for a letter of commendation. But most churches don't practice that anymore. Most just don't do it. When I was growing up, you couldn't move from one church to another without a letter of recommendation. Your church had to recommend you before you could get into another church. If a member wanted to leave a church because they were mad or they were under church discipline, the other churches would not take them until that matter was settled, until it was taken care of, and then a recommendation letter could be sent. But we don't see that anymore. 
But we do see letters of recommendation practice in the New Testament. In 1 Corinthians 16, verse 3, there Paul needed to transport an offering from the churches in Macedonia to the church at Jerusalem. And he said, the church will give you letters of approval for some men, and I'll send the offering with them. Paul said, the church will, will choose some people that you can trust. They are recommended, and they'll bring the offering. Now, that, that's one of the bases for letters of recommendation for transfer of membership. Uh, Paul even sarcastically asked the Corinthians if he needed the same letters of commendation that were asked of others. He says in 2 Corinthians 3 verse 1, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or need we as some others epistles of commendation to you, or letters of commendation from you? Now, it shows us this much, that the early church was in the practice of writing letters of recommendation when Christians changed locations. And the reason for this was so that the the new church would know that this person was not a false teacher, that this person was not a troublemaker, that they, they are recommended by the church that they left, and so you can gladly receive them into your fellowship. So that's a way you can move from one church to another. The church sends a letter of recommendation. There is a sixth way to become a member of a church. And then understand this, five and six, that's, uh, what is that, G and F? Or ENF? ENF, five and six. These are after one through four are accomplished. So the sixth way, letter F on your listening sheet, is declaration of the applicant. How can you get into a New Testament church? Well, sometimes we accept the declaration of the applicant, or sometimes we call this the sta- their statement of faith. There could be reasons that we need to do this. Perhaps the former church is no longer in existence. Perhaps they're a member of a church that has lost track of them. They don't know where they are. Or it may be a church that just doesn't send letters of recommendation, and most don't anymore. And so we accept the person by their testimony of their faith and their baptism. They tell us when they were saved and when and where they were baptized. And we accept that statement as an unwritten affidavit of the truth of their conversion and baptism. That's the more common method that we see today of receiving transferred members. So that one who is transferring tells us that they came from a good church of like faith and their baptism is valid and we accept that testimony. Now, we had a case a few years ago when a member that we'd taken in by a statement of faith wasn't too sure about baptism after thinking about it, whether that was administered by a church of like faith and order. He agreed with our doctrine, but it was troubling to him because he wasn't sure, and when there are doubts, the best thing to do is to address that problem. So he asked me to baptize him, and I did. That's the right thing to do, because baptism can't be administered by any except true New Testament churches. And I don't think anybody should have trouble accepting that. Who who could be authorized to baptize but the New Testament church? Only true churches. And this is the reason also that we don't accept letters of recommendation from churches that aren't true churches. No other position makes sense. So these are conditions for membership in a Baptist church like Berean, regeneration, Uh, Confession of faith, reception of baptism, and submission to disciplining authority. And if that person has already been a member of a church, they can be accepted by a letter of recommendation or by the examination of their statement of faith, their 
belief in Christ and their baptism. Well, this brings us to the second part. If you're in the church, how do you get out? Number two is conditions for dismissal from the church. This is not going to take as long as the other one. You'll get out in plenty of time, I think. Once you're in the church, how do you get out? That is a very good question and one that is not well understood. Let me say this, that when you are saved and baptized and you become a member of the Lord's church, from that point and for the rest of your life, you are under the obligation to be a part of the Lord's church. It is a perpetual obligation. You can't get up one day and say, I, I'm just tired of being a church member. I don't want to do this anymore. A Christian under the leadership of the Holy Spirit will never do this. And so in the big picture, you must be a member of a New Testament church somewhere for the entire length of your Christian life. That is the right thing to do. And if you think that you can skip out of the church and not be a part any longer, something has gone seriously wrong. And I'm afraid for some people the thing that's gone seriously wrong might be the thing that they need to learn. And that is they really don't know the Lord in the first place. They need to be obedient to him. And so why would they want to leave his church? So maybe it's a salvation issue. So how do you get out of the church? Well, you can get out first by recommendation to another church. This is the reverse of what I was just talking about. Uh, you, you can get out by us recommending you to another church. But if you leave because you're mad or suddenly you have a, have a disagreement in doctrine, then we can't recommend you to another church. That would be a great disservice to them if we did because you might cause trouble in their church. You have that potential. So you'll not get out of the church with a letter of recommendation if you get mad and some, something goes wrong in that area. But if you're faithful and you move and God leads you to another place and we agree this is the Lord's will and you depart in peace, we will give a letter of dismissal and recommendation. But only for the purpose of uniting with another church of like faith and order. A few years ago, we had a couple that left our church, and they were very angry. They wrote a letter to me, wrote a letter to the, to the deacon board, wrote a letter to the Sunday school superintendent. I don't know, maybe somebody else got a letter too. But they announced that they wanted their names taken off the church roll. I'll tell you this, first of all, I do not have the authority to take anybody's name off the church roll. The deacons do not have the authority to take anybody's name off the church roll. And the Sunday school superintendent, Tabor, doesn't want that responsibility. I'll tell you that right now. He's not going to take your name off the church roll. Only the church has that authority to do that. So you can't write me a letter and say, take it off. You can't get out of the church that way, but you can get out of the church this way. And that is, number two, exclusion from the fellowship. Exclusion from the fellowship. If you're out of harmony with the church and you're angry and you cause trouble, then the church will go through the necessary steps to remove you. If you do not repent, you'll be excluded from the fellowship. Now, the couple that I'm talking about went to a church that's not of like faith. That would be an automatic exclusion. I mean, you couldn't leave this church and attach yourself to a church that teaches false doctrine. That's, that's not right. Paul said, don't be yoked together with unbelievers. So you see then that you have an obligation to stay true to the Lord, to remain in fellowship with the church, 
And when you do something that disqualifies fellowship, we must remove you from the body. And if you say, oh, well, it doesn't matter. I'm mad anyway. I don't care. I'm mad anyway. That's the same thing as saying, I don't care about Christ's body. I don't care about that. I'll do whatever I want to do. That is not an act of a Christian. And the same holds true for any offense. And I want you to understand when I say offense, I mean sin. This is a sin against the Lord. And the church will address sin. If you don't repent, we remove you from the body. So you can get out of the church by exclusion. But that is the ultimate dishonor. That brings on chastisement from the Lord. That is, if you are indeed a Christian. Thirdly, how can you get out of the church? Dissolution by death. How do you get out of the church? Well, if it isn't by the previous methods, this is the only other one. Your membership will be terminated if you die. I don't think there's much explanation needed for that one. If you die, your membership is terminated. Although I have seen many, many church rolls that look like the voting registers in Chicago. There's a lot of dead people on the roll. If you want to get out of the church so badly that you'll die, we'll let you out. And, and don't be angry because I say that. I mean, if you're on the final roll call of the church in heaven, that's, that's what you need. If you're faithful in this life, you will be included in the roll call of the church in glory. But sadly, I will say this, that you could have your name on the roll of the Berean Baptist Church and be lost. We're incapable of seeing into anyone's heart. You might fake it well enough to get your name on the spreadsheet of Berean Baptist without being a real Christian. That happens. But what a tragedy it will be for those who thought that they were safe because their name was on the church roll. The church roll does not make you safe. But if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, I promise you, When the roll is called up yonder, you'll be there. So if you die, I can say with assurance, we will remove your name and we'll be glad to see you go. But understand what I mean by that. We will be glad to see you go because we know if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you have been promoted to glory. And that's what we're here for, to get people from here to glory. Isn't that our purpose? This is what we do. So we rejoice with heaven When a member dies, though we are sad, yet we are happy that they're in the presence of the Lord. That's what Paul said. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Now, let me back up just a little bit here before I close. There is one other way to get in the church. I didn't didn't mention this. I didn't include it on your listening sheet. It may be that you have been dismissed from the church because of sin. And I want to tell you, That is not irreversible. Now, I'm talking to you for future reference because I don't think anybody in here has been kicked out of the church. Uh, This is future reference. If anything goes wrong and people can fall into sin, it happens every day of the year, every day of the week, every day of the year. It happens all the time that people fall into sin. And if you fall into sin and for some reason you had to be removed from the church role, you can get back into the church. It's not irreversible. All you do is repent of your sin. All you do is say, Lord, I'm sorry for what I did. I want my church to know that I'm sorry that I've sinned against God. I want to be back in the church again. And you know who's going to be the happiest if you do that? We will. I know you'll probably be the happiest, but we'll be right behind you. We forgive. 
The Lord forgives. And we're most happy to forgive. Almost as good as getting saved is seeing someone who has fallen into sin get right with God and come back and be a faithful member of the Lord's church again. That's what we desire. And this is the reason, in fact, that we put people out of the church because of their sin. It's to wake them up, to make them realize this. Something serious has taken place. And you had to be removed from the church because of what you've done. And hopefully the Lord uses that to convict the heart and bring them back. If we just leave people in their sin as they are, then there's never a sense that, there's, that it matters anyway. But oh, it does. Sin affects the Lord's church. Now, some churches, as I said, don't preach the privileges of membership. Some churches don't talk about how you need to live a Christian life. Some churches just don't talk about these things. They're just a place for people to gather and hear little platitudes. We don't want to be that church. I want people to go to heaven where they will find and be among a vast multitude of Bereans. I hope that's what happens. This is what we're striving for. So we teach about the church. These messages are about the church that Jesus built. They teach us what the New Testament church is. They teach us what a New Testament church does. They teach us those privileges of membership. And this is a message that teaches us how to become a member of the Lord's church. How do you become a part of the believers of Berean Baptist Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you for listening to this presentation of the Brian Baptist Church of Roner Park, California. If you would like further information about our church, please feel free to call us at area code 707-584-7275 or write to us at Brian Baptist Church, 6298 Country Club Drive, Roner Park, California, 94928. Additionally, you may visit us online at www.bebaptist.org.